Amen. Everybody good this morning? Everybody's fired up. Man, y'all sounded so good in worship. Um, I, I'm just so honored and glad just to be here this morning uh, as a church. Man, I, I thank you for uh, just uh, allowing uh, just this to happen. Man, it's so cool to, to be able to gather together as the church to see um, each other uh, once a week where we gather as the saints to worship God and to be able to, to lift the name of Jesus high. It's such a beautiful picture of, of the church to come together where we gather together as the body of Christ to worship God. And so, so many times in our culture, in our country, we, it's easy to take this for granted. And so my heart for us this morning is that we would never, ever take this for granted. We're able to come together and lift high the name of Jesus, right? Amen. And so this morning, as we jump into Colossians 1, uh, again, the 124 is where we'll start at if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, we're in a series called Kingdom Culture. This is the third week, and we're still in chapter 1 of Colossians, right? So we're going to dig in deep here, all right? And so um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at Connection Church Savannah, and it's just an honor to be able to pastor this church with the, with the other pastors that are here. The elders and the staff are just incredible. Our worship team, as you've already seen, uh, we, just, we just love how they lead us into worship each week. And so, um, but anyway, so this series that we're in, Kingdom Culture, is, is really going to challenge us. It's been challenging, challenging us already to this point uh, to see if we're living under the authority of a king. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to say, you know, I'm, I'm saved. Uh, you know, it's another thing to say, Jesus is my Lord, right? There, there's a difference in that. And so when we look at this, we look at, you know, Philippians 3, where Paul's saying, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the longest time, I was, as a Christian growing up as a boy in the church that I grew up in, and all through school and college and some of my adult life, what I've seen is I, look, I read Scripture sometimes, and I look at the church, and those two things don't match sometimes, right? And so this is kind of the, 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 the bedrock of why we're doing this series um, the, the kind of foundation verse for this whole entire series is Colossians 1.13. It'll be on the screen. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So that's kind of the thought process in this. As you say, hey, I, I'm a Christian. Uh, I wake up every morning. I, I spend time with God. I go to work. I raise, I raise a family. Whatever it may be, if you say those things, are you living in a, as, a, as, as a reality of, I've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so I pray that what you would understand is that anyone who is in Christ, according to scripture, has been set free from the bondage of sin and has been transferred into that new kingdom that, 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 that this, from this world to the kingdom of God. And what this made me think about as we were kind of preparing for this series was that to ask myself this question about myself, my family, uh, my church, the things I'm involved in. Um, if a stranger, a person that doesn't know me or anybody else around me, they looked at my life, would they see a person or would they see a people as a church who've been set free from sin and are living as a part of a kingdom ruled by a king that loved them so much that he stepped in front of God's wrath that was directed towards us because of our sin, died for us, and rose again? Do I, do I live like I serve a risen Savior? It's easy to say that, but it do we, it was in the application, does it happen, right? And so I want to say this morning, what you want to see, what our hearts to see is that the world around us, they need to see a demonstration of the faith that we proclaim through the gospel. The, for so long, we've, we've proclaimed this, this, this faith about the gospel. We've proclaimed faith and we've proclaimed God did miracles through his people. We've proclaimed all these things, but our actions in our life haven't necessarily matched up with the faith that we proclaim with our lips. And so what we're seeing this morning, what we're seeing in Colossians is the Colossian church, they were being tempted in much the same way we are to, to add things to the gospel, okay? So, but what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna say, he's gonna show them that the gospel is centered on Jesus and not on more spiritual insight. Not on some deeper experience that you've had with the Holy Spirit. Not on some deeper um, wisdom that you may know that somebody else may know as they were facing the Gnostics. And so Paul was writing this letter to the Colossian church to refute this teaching of the Gnostics and reestablish the gospel in Jesus as the center of the church. Some of these false teachings that you're going to see next week and the week after, you're going to see some, as a combination of some Jewish legalism. You've got to be circumcised before you can be a Christian. You've got to do this before you can become a Christian. There was worshiping of angels. There was some Asian philosophy. There was some pagan astrology, some mysticism. They even had a little bit of Christianity sprinkled on top 
So there was something for everything, right? This was a very seeker-friendly church. Come to my church. We got coffee. We got the gospel. We got a little bit of everything for you, okay? We got all these things. Not co- I like coffee. It's not bad. Saying we got everything that you may want, right? It's kind of like a buffet-style religion, right? You get what you want, take what you want, leave what you don't want, right? And so we don't want to ever be like that. So what was happening, we saw this last week, that these false teachers weren't, they weren't denying the importance of Jesus. They were saying, Jesus is important. Follow Christ. They were just dethroning him. They were saying he might not be the only way to God, right? They were giving, they were giving him prominent, prominence, but not preeminence. He wasn't supreme, right? And so that's what we looked at last week. Paul took 10 verses and reminded the Colossian, Colossian church who Jesus is. He was God and what that means for the Colossian church. And he, what he said, if that's true, it requires you to live a life where Jesus is at the center of everything you do and everything you are. Not as a, not as a, not as a placeholder on the top of a priority list, but as an all-encompassing Lord and Savior. And that's why he said in Colossians 1.18, he said, Jesus did all this so that he might have first place in everything in your life. Supremacy. So today we're going to look at, we're going to see Paul talk about suffering. Everybody likes to talk about suffering, right? Very seeker-friendly conversation we're going to have today. Suffering and how, for the sake of the gospel, and how this is normal as we follow Christ and we build his kingdom. So let's pray together as we get ready to talk about this. And so God, we love you. We, we praise you. God, you are the God of all creation. We worship you as such. God, you are supreme above all things. God, I pray that you would just humble our hearts this morning. God, that you would just be amongst us as we as we read your word. God, that you would just convict our hearts. God, you would convict our minds. You would draw us together to be unified as a body, Lord. God, we're, we're, we're not about this division. We're not about um, the enemy having a foothold, God. So I pray that if there's a foothold in anyone's heart that any enemy may be holding this morning, that you would destroy it in Jesus' name right now. God, I pray for the person that may be stuck in sin. God, it may be, it may be a hidden sin. It may be a sin that has just uh, maybe just been overlooked for so long, Father. I pray that you would reveal that this morning and bring repentance to that person, God. I pray for the person that may be in here that has thought they were saved, but they've been living a cultural Christian life, God, and never understood the gospel. I pray this morning that the gospel would be made clear this morning. That person would become a Christian this morning, God. I pray for the person that doesn't know you. I pray that you would draw them to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Shh, real quick, do a little surveys, all right? We need some participation from the crowd, okay? So real quick, how many people have a hard time finding stuff around your house? Men, where you at? Well, husbands, right? Okay, cool. So, so how many men in this place have scoured your house and you realize I have lost this item and your wife finds it in like 30 seconds? Right? Okay, yeah, mine too, okay. And I'm like, how, how did that get there? Because I swear I just looked in that same exact spot. I looked there, and it's not, where's that? And so in men's defense, though, I, I have a wife also, the, the best one ever. And so in men's defense, those same wives can never find their phones, right, or their keys. Those two things mainly, right? I, told, I, I, I tell my wife all the time that I think she wins the award for the amount of times that she uses her, her Apple watch to find her iPhone, right? It's like I hear it binging all the time. So baby's over here. So I can find the iPhone. That's all I can find. <laughs> Everything else is up to her. And so basically what I want you to kind of remember this morning at is Scripture can kind of feel this way sometimes. You know, well, some of us get saved and we get fired up. And then we get to this verse like Luke 14, 26. It says, anyone who doesn't hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. You're like, how did that get there? I, I swear I looked at this Bible before. How did that... <laughs> That's kind of, you know, or we get to verses like 2 Timothy 3, 12, where it says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Or, or verses like Matthew 10, 22, where Jesus says, you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. And we're like, we get to the verses like this, and we're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm certain this was not here the first time I read through this scripture, right? I didn't see this going in. This I, I need to have a conversation with the Lord, but what, what, what I want you to see this morning is that suffering and persecution is a central theme of our faith. Okay, that's a little awkward silence. No, not many amens here, right? So it's, it's hard, it's a hard topic, but listen, and we can't overlook suffering and persecution as central to our faith just because it's unpopular, uncomfortable topic. We got to dig right into it. This is why the Bible consistently tells us 
Count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. You got to count the cost to see if you can go the full way. Can you count the cost? What, what's, what is your stopping point? How far will you follow Christ? Because if you set out to follow Christ and you aren't willing to let go of everything in your life, then you're wasting your time. And I want to tell you something this morning. If you're not willing to let go of everything in pursuit of Christ, church attendance, Bible study attendance, prayer time, Bible, it's, it's kind of a waste of time for you. Because you're, you're only going to go so far. And so Jesus, what I want you to kind of see this morning, kind of a preface, is what Paul is going to point out to us is, Jesus suffered to secure and to accomplish our salvation, okay? And we're called to suffer to spread salvation, right? Jesus suffered to secure and accomplish our salvation, and Christians, believers in Christ, are called to suffer to spread salvation. So those, that's kind of the bedrock of what we're going to talk about today. And this is what we're going to see today. Paul is going to say, like, he's going to be talking about suffering is a part of the Christian life. So a little preface here. Um, anybody ever made a bad decision? Okay. Yeah, me too. Okay. So bad decisions, is not. this is not talking about suffering from bad decisions. This is like, you know, sometimes, you know, we get in a situation, we buy this or do this or make a decision in a relationship like this. And we're like, God, I'm just suffering. God's like, you should have done this. Should have listened to me. Right now, that's not exactly how that works. But what I'm saying is poor decision-making is not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about is suffering from making Christ known, right? Going across the street to your neighbor, across the world to make Christ known. He even, First Peter, Peter even talks about this in First Peter 4. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler, a gossip. Anything you add to that list? But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let it not be, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. If you remember in Acts, the first part of Acts, Peter and John, Peter and James, I can't remember which, probably, I think it's Peter and John. They get persecuted, they're, 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 they get thrown in jail, they get out of jail, they go back to their, their friend's house where the Bible study is being held, and they rejoice that they were seen was worthy to suffer for Christ. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, I just want to go to church. I just want to go to Bible study. I just want to say God bless you on Facebook whenever somebody has a problem, right? I, I want to kind of, I want to live my faith on the outskirts. I don't necessarily want to get all in that, right? Then look in Philippians. You don't have to turn. It'll be on the screen. Philippians 3, I shared this the first week of this series. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Watch how Paul talks. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, all the things, the Pharisaical, uh, the, the Hebrew, I was a Hebrew, I was born to the tribe of Benjamin, I was to the nation of Israel, like I, was, I was the best of the best of the best. Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered a loss because of Christ. More than that, going, going above that, I also consider everything to be a loss, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them, the things, as dung. That's poop, okay? So that I may gain Christ. And this is where it gets really good and kind of confusing for some people. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, the things I do, the laws I keep, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Listen to this. Listen to this next verse. My goal all right, we all have goals, right? We have financial goals, we have family goals, we have career goals, we have goals, 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 right? Spiritual goals. My goal is to know him. Oh, that's wonderful, Paul. I want to know him too. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul is saying, I want to be found in him to the point where I'm suffering like Christ did and I want to die for him one day. What in the world, Paul? Extreme, but this is what Paul is saying here, and this is what we're going to see today as we look at Colossians 1. He's, he's able to say this type of thing because the kingdom that he's living for wasn't this one, right? He's able to be that extreme because he has given everything in his life every ounce of freedom, every ounce of family, every ounce of everything in his life that his commitments, his, his, his. Well, his, you know, his loyalties have been given to Christ and Christ alone, and he's willing to follow God anywhere. And so let's jump into our scripture in verse 24 of chapter 1, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. That messes y'all up. I'm sorry. We'll have a support group after this, after this sermon. Here we go. 
Uh, all right, here we go. So now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul is crazy. <laughs> I rejoice in my sufferings for you. How many people in the room has ever said, you know what? I rejoice in my sufferings for the Lord. Right? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I pray that we get there. I rejoice in my sufferings for you, Colossae. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. Before you get too weird about that, we're going to come back and explain all of that. I have become it's the church. I become the church's servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now is being revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, that's the nations, the ethne, that's uh, God wanted to make known to all nations the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his, with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in unity and love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. Christ in him are hidden all the treasure and wisdom of knowledge. Amen. So you see verse 1 to 3 in chapter 2. What we're going to look at is Paul is... Is, he's, he's showing Paul's purpose is to encourage and to unify the church because we've said this a million times in this room. Like the, there are levels of understanding, spiritual growth, uh, all those things. There's levels of those things that we can't experience unless we are unified as a church, right? Unity and maturity, unity and maturity. If there's ever a lack of that in your life, it's going to cause a problem somewhere, right? And so then in verse three, what you're going to see is is Paul is speaking directly to this Gnostic heresy that you can have this and you can have this. If you just go deeper, look at these rituals, uh, get circumcised, do all these things. Paul is saying, no, all the treasures of this wisdom that you want, this knowledge that you want, are found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. This is Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing else that you add to this. Anything that you add to the gospel makes it not the gospel, right? And that's what I want you to see this morning as kind of the bedrock. But I want to focus in on verses 24 to 29 this morning as we look. So to see verse 24 properly, let's look at it in connection with the rest of the verses. Can we do that? Let's start in verse 29, okay? Verse 29, what we see in verse 29, Paul is saying there's a purpose to his labor, right? He, what does he say? He says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that powerfully works in me. So he, there's a purpose in his labor, and his striving isn't being done in his own strength. It's the power of Christ at work in him. He's not doing it on his own, right? And so verse 28, what we see, it says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so Paul is saying there's a purpose, and my purpose is that everyone would be mature in Christ. And the way that I do that is by warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom in Scripture. So how many people love to come to church, to connect group, to discipleship, to dinner, to coffee with a friend who's a believer, and be taught something new? Love that. How many of us love to do the same thing and get warned? Not many people. That's kind of a cuss word in the American church, right? We want to be taught. Go, give me the wisdom, give me the wisdom, give me the wisdom. The warning is a little bit, ah, I don't, I, don't like, I don't like being warned. I don't like being held accountable. <laughs> don't, don't hold me accountable to anything now. This is my life. This is my decisions. That's the, that's the crux of the problem in the American church. There's an indwelling pride that needs to die in us. For, and Paul says the reason why he does this is to present the body of Christ mature. So what we're seeing, unless I hold you accountable, you hold me accountable, and we help each other grow, there's a level of maturity that would never happen in the body. Okay? And he does this by proclaiming and warning everyone that he brings to Christ. So verse 26 and 27, we see he defines more clearly what he proclaims. As Paul calls it a mystery, not because it can't be understood, but because it's been hidden for ages and now it's been revealed. In the Old Testament, there was this, 
there was this thread of Jesus. You can look back in the, from the very first book of the Bible. Jesus is in there. You just got to dig and look and see. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. There was this like mystery. We understand it because we have the New Testament. But reading the Old Testament without the New Testament, it makes it kind of hard, right? And so there was this mystery. There was something coming. There was, there was more to the story. There's a mystery. And so Paul is saying the mystery has been revealed. And then in verse 27, he describes it. It's Christ in you. The Gentiles, the Colossians, the people at Connection Church Savannah, the Gentiles, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The mystery is why is the Holy Spirit in us? That's the mystery because the Holy Spirit in God was meant just for the Jewish people, right? The Israelites. But the fact that it's in us as a Gentile, that's a mystery. The mystery is that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, would reach non-Jewish nations and indwell non-Jewish people, that he would live in them and give them the promises that were meant for Abraham. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's a, that's a mystery. We don't need to get past that. But now this mystery is being revealed, and what's happening is Paul is proclaiming Christ and teaching that the gospel belongs to everyone who trusts in Jesus and puts their hope in him. He even affirms this in Colossians 1.4. He says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew. He was, he, he, he was a Pharisee. And he looks at these Gentiles in Colossae and said, your faith in Christ is evident. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You are saved. You're a brother and sister in Christ because of what Christ has done on the cross. He now indwells you. And you're a Gentile, and I'm a Jew. There should be a wall, but the dividing wall has been torn down by Christ. We're one family in Christ. That's a beautiful picture, right? That's the beauty of the cross. And then verse 25, we see him going in. He says, I, I have become its servant, the church's servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And so what 25 is saying is that this proclamation of Christ is the fulfilling of a stewardship that God had given Paul to spread God's word. The Great Commission had not been written down yet when Paul had the Bible, but it has been written down for us going to all nations, teaching and baptizing and all the things, all the things and the power that God gives. He'll be with us to the end of the age, make disciples of all nations. The same commission that Paul had is on us, not as an apostle, but as a believer in Christ, right? So our mission is to take the gospel to the nations. That's what it says here. God wanted to make known among the nations the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we, our mission is to take that gospel to those nations and to offer them the hope of glory and call them to faith in Christ. Yeah. Right? That's the goal of the church. And so like you and me, Paul had been commissioned to spread God's glory among the nations. And then we finally get to verse 24. So pay attention. Verse 24. And verse 24 says that this ministry of extending the gospel to the nations will inevitably involve suffering. Okay? Who knows that it's hard to take up your life and move it to a foreign nation? Who knows that it's hard to go on a short-term mission trip when your family's here, you're worried about them, you got to figure that out. Who knows that it's hard to talk to the person in the cubicle next to you about Christ? Because you're insecure. I don't want to talk to people. I like to stay in my bubble, right? Who knows that it's hard to walk across the street and engage your neighbor with the gospel? We all do. What I want you to see of this, this is what it says. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul was dead. Pa Paul was dead. He died on the road to Damascus. He was living for Christ, right? The life I now live, I live, in the, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, right? Let's see that last week. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. So now what does this mean that when Paul suffers for the church in Colossae and around the world, that he's extending the hope of glory to more and more people and suffering in doing this, that he is somehow completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church? When you read that, how many people feel a little bit dirty? Like, I don't think, this, this don't sound right. Paul's completing something that Jesus did? I don't, anybody else feel that way? When I read it, I was like, that don't, that don't feel right, but it's in the Bible, so I, gotta, I believe it. I got to study more, right? That's why it's important to read your Bible. So let's, let's dig into that. This, that's the elephant in the room this morning, okay? That's the elephant in the room. How can any man, Paul is a man, how can any man complete what the Bible says is already finished? 
Okay, how can, how can he do that? And so I think the context that we just looked at suggests that Paul's sufferings completed Christ. Well, n- not by adding anything to their worth, not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to the people they were meant to be blessed by. By extending Christ's sufferings to people they were meant to bless. Do you see that? We're going to dig into it a little bit more. So what's lacking? Let's, let's do this together. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they're lacking anything as if they, they couldn't sufficiently cover the sins of your life or all people who all believe. What's lacking is the, the infinite value of Christ's suffering is not known in many places around the world. Do you see that? What's lacking is today, as I speak from this stage, 43% of the world have never heard the name of Jesus. That's 3.2 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. What's lacking is those people have never heard the name of Christ. The gospel is still a mystery. It's hidden to those billions of people. When we were in Thailand, we were able to share the gospel with people for the very first time. And it was amazing to share the gospel of who God was, the great spirit, and, and you know, the, the God of all the universe. He had a son that, that he sent down because we are sinners and we separated ourselves from God. And he sent his son to die for us to make a way back to him so that we can live with him forever and have, have peace with that God. They were like, what? It blew their minds. They, they didn't understand. Like, it was like, whoa, this, what? And like, it was amazing to see the light bulb turn on for some people. It was amazing to see the gospel go into a frontier location where it had never been before. And that's God's intention, is that this gospel be revealed to them, extended to all nations. And we can't just come and meet and and sit in a congregation like this and worship a God without knowing his heart for the people of the world. But not just that. We can't come and sit and worship and sit in this nice, beautifully cooled room. And and pretend like we're not called to be a a part of that mission, to suffer, to see it go, to see the gospel go. And so the afflictions that are lacking in this sense, that they're not seen and known among all nations yet. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would use his descendants to bless all nations. Remember that? So what it said in Galatians 3.29, what it says is, if you belong to Christ, then what? You are Abraham's seed. Are anybody in here, I mean, you, there might be some Jewish, pe- Jewish people in here, but by, because you're a Christian, you've been grafted into God's promise that were given to the Jews, right? And so you've been grafted in. And we've, we said this back in our Authentic series, because of this verse, if you're an heir to the promise of Abraham, you're also an heir to the what? The purpose. Because you're an heir to the promise of Jesus coming in the gospel, saving you, you, you've been also grafted into the purpose. Because you're saved, you're not saved just to sit. You're saved to be sent, to go and to suffer for the gospel, to see it spread to all nations, right? So this is where many people miss it. To have Jesus as Savior and Lord. The American church hates the word Lord, right? Savior versus Lord. This is the the concept we're going to look at right now. Savior is an experience that you have, right? I've been saved. Hallelujah. I'm on my knees. I'm worshiping. I'm, I'm, I'm so blown away that I'm just able to be saved. Having a Lord, is, it means you're a, you're a participant in something. You're a particip- you're, you're, there's participation. That's a hard word to say, bro. There's a, there's a participation that happens. Like when, whenever you become saved, you've been grafted into this family of God, this new kingdom. Now you have a king that gives you orders to go and do something, right? So I've been saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Michael, go make disciples. Well, who don't make a disciple? Well, this person. Go share the gospel with this person. Love your wife. Love your family. Love your friends. Be a faithful under-shepherd at a church. Do these things that I've called you to do. And I have a choice to quench the spirit, to resist God's hand, or to submit to his lordship. So many people in the American church have resisted the lordship of Jesus that they have just become shells of what the church should be. And it becomes a place where people just sit, look at a screen, sing a song, go home, and come back next week. That's not what the church is called to be. The gospel, the mystery that's been revealed to all nations, is carried by members of God's kingdom. This kingdom culture that we're talking about. 
And that completes what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense now? Yes, maybe. Just read it later in this context. You'll get it. I promise. It took me a couple of days. I'm not that smart. So what we see, we see this theme, though, throughout Scripture. Looking, um, you don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. I No, it won't. Philippians 2.30. It should be a couple of pages back. Philippians 2.30. What we see, Paul writes to the church in, in Philippi, and he talks about Epaphroditus. Some people think this is the same Epaphras that, that he talks about in, in Colossae. We don't know. I can't say it's a fact, but some people think it is. Um, but he talks about Epaphroditus. He says he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. And when I read that, I'm like, Paul, are you just like straight up like bashing these people in a letter to them when you should be thanking them for the resources they just gave you, the offering, the money, the food, the things they just gave you? Are you saying you're, that ministry was lacking? Yeah, well, he is kind of, but, but Epaphroditus came to visit Paul to bring Paul support and resources for his ministry from the church of Philippi. So it had been like us taking some resources to the missionaries that we visited in Thailand or the DR this year, taking resources to those places. And so Epaphroditus, he almost loses his life. He becomes so sick. Verse 27 says he was sick to the point of death, but what? God spared him. So he was sick. Verse 29, Paul tells him to honor Epaphroditus when he comes back, and he gives his reason in verse 30, which was what I just read to you, which was, has words very similar to what we just read in Colossians 1.24 that said he, Paul, was, it was, Paul was going to fill up or was going to complete Christ's suffering in his body. So now, if you think about that context, what... In, you know, in what sense then was the support of the Philippians to Paul lacking? And in what sense did Epaphroditus fill up what was lacking in their support? And when I read this and read this and read the Holy Spirit just put on my heart that the church's presentation of the offering in person. The whole church coming to Paul and saying, here's the offering, right? I wanted to see everyone at your church. I wanted to see all my brothers and sisters. But Epaphroditus came and he made up for what was lacking. He was your representative. I love seeing him. He almost died for you. He almost died for me. Honor him. And so when I read that, I'm like, boom, wow. And this is exactly what the words of Colossians 1.24 mean. Like Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for our sins. And it's complete and lacking nothing except one thing, a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations and to the people in your neighborhoods, your workplace, and your homes. Christ wants to come to those people in person. And guess who he uses to do that? You and me, right? That's the beautiful part of what we're reading here. God answers this lack. God answers to this lack is to call the people from his kingdom to present the afflictions of Christ to the world. Do you see that? In doing this, we fill up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. You see what I'm saying? So notice how Paul says this in verse 24. He says that it's in his sufferings, his actual physical suffering, that he does his share in filling up the afflictions of Christ. You're like, well, what, what happened to Paul? Let's, let's read it. Actually, he's recorded in Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians verse 11. You can write this down. It'll be on your screen. 2 Corinthians verse 11, chapter 11, verse 24. It says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once... I received a stoning three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night in the sea on the open sea, a night and a day on the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. My own people. He faced danger. That's amazing, right? Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, without clothing. Not to mention other things. There is a daily pressure on me, but my concern is for all the churches. My goodness. Like, Paul had a tough life, right? There was some suffering happening in Paul's corner, right? But he saw the maturity and the unity of the church as more important than his, his body, his life. They saw that as most important. So Paul sees a very close connection between his sufferings and Christ's affliction. And what that means is that God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. You see what I'm saying? And we're called to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions that we experience 
whenever we offer him to them. You see what I'm saying? We're giving our all to see Christ go among the nations. And so that, the reason we do this, so when we offer the Christ of the cross to the people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. If I'm offering Christ to someone and all they see is me, that's a very shallow Savior. We're called to exemplify Christ. That's why Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, filling up what it was lacking in the afflictions of of Christ. Paul says, Jesus desires to have a personal presentation of his sufferings to the world. And the way he means to offer himself as a sufferer to the world is for the world through his people who, like him, are willing to suffer for the world to see Jesus. How much do you love Jesus? How much are you willing to give up to make sure that your person next to you knows Christ? How much has the fact that there are 3.2 billion people in the world that don't know Christ, don't have access to it? How much does that bother us? Do I love Christ enough to make a sacrifice, to suffer, to see that done? His sufferings are completed in our sufferings because in ours, our sufferings, the world sees his. I was asked three times by people in Thailand this year, why did you come from America to Thailand? I'm like, open door, right? It's like, open, but it's like, they don't understand why you would leave America to come to Thailand or why you would leave the comfort of your home or the comfort of your office or the comfort of anywhere to come present the gospel, to be suffering for Christ. Why you would do that? Well, because Christ has died for me and loves me, and so I'm dead, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and through me. And I think what we see in, a pas- in, in this passage is the living out of Jesus' words in Mark 8, 35, where he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, wants to, whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Do you remember Stephen when he was getting stoned? What was Stephen doing when he was getting stoned? He was like, ow, don't, don't throw rocks at me. That hurts. No, Stephen was looking at heaven, smiling, rejoicing, worshiping because he saw God, Jesus seated at the right hand of God. So welcome him in home. It was not, he was not worried about his temporary sufferings. He was living for an eternal kingdom, and that eternal kingdom changed the way he lived in the current worldly kingdom that he was in. We're, of the, we're, we're in this world, but not of it. You've heard that, right? That's not the Bible, but it's a Christian cliche, right? We're in this world, but not of this world. We're called to live against the flow of this world. And so what I want you to see this morning is that the path to salvation is the path to losing one's life for the sake of the gospel. The path to salvation is the path to losing one's life for the sake of the gospel. Am I talking about physical death? Maybe. Am I talking about your desires, dreams, aspirations, goals, financial goals, marital goals, all these things? Yes, I am talking about that too. Losing your life so that you can find Christ and see Jesus pushed out into the, into the nations. And the point, that, 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 that the point is, is that taking the gospel to people, whether it's across your office or across the ocean, it requires sacrifice and suffering, a losing of life and a denying of self, Right? Right? We, we, we suffer that denial of self in that moment. And this kingdom that we're talking about, that we've been discussing, is an upside-down kingdom, right? When it comes, when, it, when it's compared to the kingdom of this world, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you rejoice in sufferings? This is the upside-downness that I'm talking about. Because Paul is like, I, I'm suffering, but I'm joyful. Listen, the, the Christ, the Christian life is a joyful life. The, one of the ways that you know you've met a true believer is the person is full of joy. Joy and thankfulness, right? It's a painful life sometimes, but it's a profoundly happy life because your fulfillment is found in an eternal king, not in temporal things of this earth. That's the beautiful picture of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look above your circumstances. Look above the kingdom of this earth. Look to the eternal king that you said you worship and live for him and him alone. Right? So when we choose comfort, we choose security over the sacrifices and sufferings of missions and evangelism and love, guess what we do? As Christians, we choose against joy. We choose things that can never bring us joy. Whatever I choose against 
love and missions and evangelism, I choose, I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be secure. When I try to find that in anything other than Christ, I lose the joy that's, uh, that, I, that I'm chasing. That's what I want you to see this morning. God is calling us into this, in this text right here to live for the sake of the gospel and to do that through suffering because tri- Christ, Christ chose suffering. For those of you that didn't know this, he could have come off that cross at any moment. He could have, he could have removed that whip from that Roman soldier's hand that was beating him before he went to the cross with just a word, right? He could have gotten the glory he deserves with, a, with just a flick of a finger or, or, or a flick of his tongue by saying a word because he is mighty and sovereign. He chose to suffer as a king for you and me so that we could live for him. That's the beauty of the gospel. He chose it as the way to create and perfect his church. And now he calls us to choose suffering. What that means is he calls us to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves and to make sacrifices for the sake of presenting the gospel to the world and for the sake of building up the church. As I was preparing this sermon, I was reminded of a story. Um, I've had the opportunity to go to Kenya four or five times, and I was able to meet, on my first trip there, I was able to meet a Maasai warrior named Joseph. And I met him, and I heard his story. Um, one of the people we were there, one of the missionaries we were there would say, here, sit here, listen to Joseph tell you the story of his life. And I listened, and I cried, and I wrote it down in my journal. And so this is what it says. This was his story. This was the missionary's kind of story to me. It says, one day Joseph, a Maasai warrior from northern Kenya, was walking along one hot, dirty African road when he met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was to return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross, the suffering of Jesus, and the salvation that it offered. Expecting to see their faces light up, The way his had, to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die out alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a wiring hole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception that he received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must not... He must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. And so after rehearsing the message again, he first heard, he decided to go back to share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Christ. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men in the village and held while the women beat him repeatedly, reopening his wounds that he had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To survive the first bidding was truly remarkable. To to live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village. Then this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. And as they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he, had a, he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had severely beating him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And the entire village had come to Christ. Man, what a story. Now you think about it, that's in, that's in Kenya, you know that? And this is just one vivid example of what Paul meant when he said, I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. Would that, would that village have ever come to Christ if he didn't go back again and again and again? Maybe. But what a story that Joseph has to tell of God's faithfulness, even in suffering, right? And what I love about this is to understand this upside-downness idea of kingdom living and and to truly understand the whole of Scripture, we have to be freed from this seduction of American prosperity. Let's just speak what it is, right? Because that puts you and me at the center of, of, of the gospel instead of Christ. It does. Like, the Colossians were tempted with the Gnosticism, and I believe that the church in America, maybe even our church, we still deal with a form of this. Like, but for us, I believe, we're tempted most with this idea of humanism, right? We, we may not say it out loud, but we say it by the way we live, right? We, humanism teaches that man is basically good, 
and can be self-sufficient apart from God. If I work hard enough, if I do enough good, I don't do as much bad, I may end up in heaven. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm going to do more good than bad. I'm, I'm, the, the, the moral scales are going to be in my favor because I'm a good person. Guys, this type of thinking places the idol of self central in our lives, and it actually moves you further from God and his purposes for your life. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Guys, he had given up control of his life and his Lord to, to be able to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that he could participate in the resurrection of Christ in the end. And at the very end of his life, he was writing to his disciple, Timothy. It was his last letter, and he was writing this in 2 Timothy 4. And what he said, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, and there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Amen. That's what we're living for. And so really quick, two very quick things that I want to highlight as we close, and I want you to take home and think through today and evaluate against the life that you're currently living like the first thing I want to give you as I read scripture, one thing that is very, very clear is that God wants to reorient your life for the sake of the gospel. Okay, God wants to reorient your life for the sake of the gospel. What that means is there's a lot of cultural Christianity when that point comes on the screen, you're like, <laughs> not doing that. I'm going to go to church, go to group. That's about it. You know what I mean? That's, my schedule's pretty full, Jesus. I can't be... Can't be moving out. Of, you know, uh, God wants to reorient your life for the sake of the gospel. Guys, remember, Jesus did not save you to make you a better version of yourself. The gospel isn't good news that says you're a better person now. Jesus loves you, right? Jesus died and rose again to make you a new creation in Christ. A new creation has new desires, new aspirations, a new Lord, a new citizenship in heaven, right? You're a new creation in Christ. But the American Christian has been living in this limbo. We're in the domain of darkness. We're in the kingdom of heaven. We're trying to play the field on both sides, and we look like fools. Guys, God wants to reorient your life for the sake of of the gospel. My question for you, very direct, is what does that look like for you and your family? Let's make that practical. What does that look like for you and your family? Our culture teaches us to run from discomfort. How do I want to? It's just uncomfortable. I want to work out. That's my thing. That's my thing. Um, we run from shame. Like, oh, I've sinned. I don't want to talk to that person. I've hurt someone. I don't want to talk to them. It's uncomfortable. I'll get embarrassed. They might hold me accountable. I don't want to do these things. We run from the things that God wants to use to shape us. We say, do what's easy. Do what requires the least amount of work, right? Am I the only one that lives that way? We all, I think we all do, if you're being honest. My question is, what if Jesus followed that mantra? What if Paul followed that mantra? What if the person that led you to Christ Follow that mantra. And here's the even tougher question. What happens to the person that God may be calling you to reach across the street or across the ocean in your life if you set it up to avoid pain, struggle, suffering, and being transformed by God? What happens in that moment? Guess what? That person is left out to dry. God's sovereign. He's going to reach the people he's going to reach. But he wants to use you to do it in your life. Guys, and this is, this is something that I've witnessed. This is not something that I kind of, I'm witnessing this now. I think God is sifting his church. I think God is sifting his church. And I believe that this cultural Christian who comes and just wants to gather with the church when it's convenient, give their 10%, attend the connect group as long as it fits in their schedule, the person who does more good than bad, balancing the morality schedules and scales in life are going to be very uncomfortable in the church going forward. Jesus isn't trying to fit into your schedule. You hear what I'm saying? He's not trying to fit in between breakfast and coffee or breakfast and work. He's not trying to fit in bedtime and kids' kids bedtime. Jesus came to take your life over. He came to take your life over. God wants to reorient your life for the sake of the gospel going forward. He's calling you to leverage everything for the gospel. So the question is, is your life being used for the sake of the gospel or is the gospel just an ornament on an otherwise humanistic lifestyle? And this is hard teaching, man. It's hard. 
It's hard. Some practical ways this may look, you know. It may look like you're saying no to some things that our culture expects you to do or that your kids want to do so that you could be more effective for the gospel. Well, you say, aren't my kids supposed to play ball? Aren't they supposed to be on the Braves? Aren't they supposed to be on cheer? Aren't they supposed to be in dance? Aren't they supposed to run my schedule? Nah, it's not true. Isn't my schedule supposed to be jam-packed with things to do? That's the American way, right? No. Aren't we supposed to have a house on 100 acres of land, a three-car garage, and a fat retirement when I retire? Not necessarily. And hear this clearly from me, okay? I'm not saying these things are bad. But I am saying when these things consume you and hold you back from following Jesus the way he's called you to, they are bad and they're actually idols he's called you to destroy. And they're causing you to not see Christ for fully who he is, guys. If your attempts to give your kids a better life than you had prevents you from being active in building the church and participating and seeing people come to know Jesus, your kids may be an idol. It's hard. Guys, listen, if you think this is hard preaching, you are to be the one trying to preach it and live it at the same time when your wife be like, well, you ain't living what you're preaching. You know what I mean? I'll trade places with you any day of the week if you want to start preaching. I'll let you do it. You know what I mean? If you qualify, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's hard, man. This is, this is hard for me, too. It's hard for us. I'm in the same boat with you. And I, I love it, but I want to see a church mature. And I want to see a church unified. Because you're called to follow Jesus' example in giving up your life for the sake of the gospel, for others to hear it and to know the gospel. The last and final thing. Two, Jesus calls us to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Jesus calls us to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing more important in your life than getting the life-saving knowledge of Christ to people who don't have it. The world lies to you and tells you there's other things. Guys, your reputation, your money, your family, your career, your savings, your retirement, not even your life should stand in the way of you using your life to be the messenger of the gospel to people who don't have access to it. Listen, do we spend more time trying to shield ourselves from suffering than we do leaning into it to allow God to use it? Maybe we need to lean into suffering. Maybe God's trying to use that. I don't know, man. Like, listen, what if God is calling you to that person across your street or across the ocean that has no access to that? Here's the question that I want to leave you with today is, do we believe the gospel enough to sacrifice to see it pushed forward? I want to show you a video as we get, to clo- get ready to close. I just want you to listen to this and watch this. There's a true story of a small village in India. And in this village, there was this family that came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This agitated the village so much and everybody became so upset that an angry mob gathered and shoved them into the public square. The village chief confronted them and he said to the man, if you and your family will not recant your faith, you all will surely die. The man didn't know what to say or what to do. And so the only thing that came to mind for him were the words of a song that he himself had composed when he had first surrendered his life to God. And so he began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And with that, horrifically, his children were killed. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
He was given another chance, this time with his wife's life on the line. And yet he continued to sing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. After her tragic death, he was given one final opportunity this time to save himself. And yet he continued to sing. Even though that man and his family died on that day, something remarkable happened. A seed was planted in the heart of that village chief, a seed that began to grow over time and eventually he called the community together in that very same neighborhood, in that very same square, and he renounced his former faith and declared his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And a celebration broke out in that moment and the gospel began to flourish and to grow in that community, not just in that village, but across the whole region. Because they had seen real faith and they knew the true character of God because of a family that believed and sacrificed even under the penalty of death. something that stuck out to me at the very end says they'd seen the true character of, of Jesus because of a family who believed and sacrificed under even the penalty of death. Like, I'm like, what? Like, this is kingdom culture. Like the, because this family chose to suffer for the sake of the gospel, a whole region in North India was saved and churches have been planted. And that, that's incredible, man. Like, like that, that, this morning, uh, my challenge for you is, is to ask yourself, to, to, you know, where is your stopping point? Where's your stopping point this morning? I'll follow Jesus up until this point, right? Identify that place this morning. and Because my, my greatest desire for this body is that we would respond when God speaks. You think it was hard for that man to stand in that square and declare Christ as Lord with the risk of his family dying? Yes. With his own life? Yes. But Christ is worth everything. And that's the call to follow Christ this morning. And one of the things that I want you to see is that we would respond to this word whenever we read it, whenever we open it, and whenever we pray. One of the things that God's been doing in our staff, one of the words that he's been putting on our hearts is respond. Respond to when God moves. Respond, respond. Respond is, is to react in response to something. React to a word of God or to a move of God. And so this morning, has God moved in your heart to, to, to respond? Has he convicted you in an area of your life where you need to respond? And my, my, my heart for you this morning would be to respond to him. Come to this altar. Pray with one of our prayer counselors on the wall. Do, do something that, that God is calling you to do. Be bold. Let's be a church that is known that radically obeys God at his every word. This morning, I don't know where you're at. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, if you've been on the sidelines of your faith, you've been kind of hit or miss with God, respond this morning. Don't let this moment slip you by. If you're in this place this morning and you don't know Jesus the way that man knew Jesus or the way that Paul knows Jesus, 
don't leave this place without responding because God loved you so much that he sent Jesus. To, he did not shrink back from the cross because he knew it would win your salvation and bring him glory. So this morning, if you'll just bow your heads for a second. If you know this morning that you've never given your life, the control of your life to Christ, and you know this morning God is moving in your life and your heart to say, today is the day where I put my feet in the ground and I move forward and I live my life for the gospel and for Jesus and Him alone. And you know that's you today and God's moving in your heart. The way that you would know that is your heart's probably racing right now. God's probably racing. He's probably touching your life and, and your heart's racing. You don't know what this is, but it's probably the Holy Spirit drawing you to Himself. If, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. Would you say, Michael, that's me. I didn't give my life to Jesus this morning. Okay, awesome. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I pray that you would do some business with God this morning and respond to what the way he's calling you to respond. And so as I pray, you come. Father God, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. God, you are good. Lord, this morning we saw that even though the road that, the following you sometimes requires suffering and persecution, God, that it's worth it because you are a beautiful and loving God who, who gives us just perseverance, God. You you lead us in the paths of righteousness and you guard our souls, God. And we know, Father, that until you're done with us, God, we are guarded by your spirit. So this morning, I pray for the person in this room that is not in a relationship with you, God. Draw them to yourself. I pray for the person this morning that is blinded in their sin. I pray that you would break their heart this morning, God, and draw them to yourself. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We adore you in Jesus' name. Amen.